Hey, family, this is David Mahan, and uh, there's going to be some sensitive content being shared in this particular podcast, so uh, definitely not appropriate for children. Just wanted to give you that, that heads up. At that point, I had actually already accepted Christ into my life. God was really showing me different things. I was seeing things that I hadn't seen before. And here was this woman sitting in front of me, letting me know that she was a sex worker. She was having children just to eat and have shelter. And this intervention from the CDC to convince her to use condoms was supposed to help her. Absolutely not. I knew she needed Christ. She needed the body of Christ to come to her and help her. Um, This is what's happening in our communities. This is the false hope that, that these programs are giving children and adults all over this country. Welcome to The Narrative, where we're unpacking the toughest issues of the day. My name is Aaron Baer, and I'm the president of Center for Christian Virtue, here with my co-host, uh, our policy director here. What, what's your name? David Mahan, again. So, uh, uh, and and we, we got a, coming out hot today, though, we got a, a really good uh, conversation for you. At least I, I'm, I'm expecting it to be really good. This is actually the first uh, interview uh, that, that I missed. We brought in Monica Klein, and I was on my way back. Uh, uh, to the office for the interview uh, when I got the 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 double call um, <laughs> and whenever you get the double call you have to answer that's that's the the rule from my, my wife and I is that if, if you get do you, what's do you guys have like a signal like that if, do you if, and your if wife? I don't answer the first call I'm in trouble <laughs> yeah so, first call see see mine is you, you call once if I if I can't answer then you know that then then I, then I won't but if if the call the second call comes back quickly um, which is always awkward that like if she drops her phone or something like that and it works both ways too uh, you could just answer your wife's call I was at lunch I'm with dead. somebody and and man's so been just married like, like a hundred years are we like I mean seriously we'll we, talk we'll real. count we'll, we'll call, count gray hairs here uh, in a little bit anyway I know good counsel. Um but so I got the double call on the way back from uh, my lunch and, or although actually at my lunch um, and what it turned out to be was the, like the, the report was there was a critter in the house um, the initial report turned out to be somewhat fake news it was actually either uh, a squirrel or a bird, a critter, but in the chimney, um, and and or something in, somewhere in the pipes. It, it, it's I can I can report that uh, all is safe. My family is is cared for and provided. But when the devil call comes and the call comes, you got to come home and take care of this. You, I, I got to get. So anyway, I don't know what this conversation. David, you got to do the narrative by yourself. There's a chipmunk I, in the garden. I don't know. Listen, I don't know what this interview. I know Monica Klein's going to be great. I don't know how the actual interview is going to go, but um, either way, stick around. I, I'm looking forward to hearing this interview um, that that we've got for you. Monica's phenomenal. David, we'll find out um, if he, he can carry this program. Dang, but. But I actually, I, I, I am, as always, honored to be here with David. I'm especially honored uh, to be with, according to uh, people on the internets, um, <laughs> the, the lead advocate for pedophiles um, and, oh and somebody gosh. who doesn't care, especially as we're, we're doing children. the children first uh, volume of, uh, of uh, the narrative. Uh, David's David's in the newspaper right now and online being called somebody who doesn't care about children, yeah, predator um, protector. Yeah, because because of something going on, and this is this is such a quintessential example of both uh, fake news, um, but also the reality of 
why Christians need to be involved in the public policy space um, and why it's, it's even when you elect good people, you, you've got to be engaged with them through the process because, the, you know, the, the layers of how public policy works, the layers of how government, how deep and, and, and wide this, the government is, it, you can't really wrap your mind around it unless you're down there every day and you understand how the process works. And so, uh, David, explain if you can. So all, all of these news stories came out about House Bill 105. Mm-hmm. So, so just explain if you can what House Bill 105 is. It's called Aaron's Law. What what is it? Before we get into all yeah. of the the controversy around it, what, what what are the proponents say that it does? Yeah, on paper, it's sexual violence prevention um, for for kids. Um, they they want to reach. Uh, mandate that uh, every public school in Ohio uh, from K through 12 has to have this this uh, this prevention training. Um, it is only, you know, on paper, it's only one day. Um, it's problematic in that, you know, as, as with most things, um, it's not just what it is. It's 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 how it's being done. It's who's doing the education. Uh, and and which first, doesn't show up on the no doesn't show up in in the bills. I mean that's even one of these things when people say, well, did you read the bill? Yeah, I read the bill, but do you understand even in it. where where the bill how the bill works and who the bill is empowering to go fill in all the details? Yeah, there's uh, I you know I was talking to uh, to a representative the other day and I'm like I don't know what these guys in the house voted for because it was like you know. Um, there's no curriculum. You know, you ask, okay, what's, what curriculum is going to be used? Well, it's going to be chosen by uh, a task force. Okay, well, who's going to sit on the task force? Oh, well, that'll be determined after, you know, we got to get the bill first. We got to pass the thing first. Find out what's in it. Right. Nancy Pelosi so many it. red flags. In addition to, you know, it's going to be mandated. Every public school has to do it. And there's no opt out for parents. Red flag, red flag, red flag. And we start doing our research. Right. So, so, so this bill has been around for, I think, eight years, something like that. And it, it's never really gotten much, much headway this year. It passed out of the house, but really it, it passed out of the house. And a lot of folks didn't even realize what they were voting for. 86 to eight. Yeah. My, my, most folks did not realize what was, was in this thing. Now it's, you know, it, it got assigned to a, a, a Senate committee here and, we went and met with the you know chairman of that committee and said, "Look, here's here's all the problems on this, and we've we've got to oppose this." And by the way, I mean, and what's what's important for us on this is when we go and meet with lawmakers, especially on something like this, sexual violence prevention. Uh, you know, we'll work with you. We we sit down, and say, "Hey, how can we make this? We tell us what you want to try to accomplish. How right. can we work together to do this?" And you know, we were interested parties. We weren't, you know, in opposition this year. We were interested party and just had some questions asked and uh, non-negotiable. Yeah, well, things like parental opt-out, and that that was the thing for for me, which and this did come out in the story that the dispatch did on the the Columbus dispatch did on this somewhat hack job. It, it, it gave a good overview. And I dare it, one of y'all it, to call me, email me like, Dave, why did you say abstinence-only education? Why didn't you? Don't. You know better. Don't call me with that stuff. <laughs> so, so what, it, but what was good about the story was the proponents of the bill, the National Alliance, you know, they have all this word jumble of names, National Alliance of Against Sexual Exploitation, because who's for sexual exploitation? But that this... National Alliance Against Sexual Exploitation. (laughs) And what they said outright in in the article was that 
ha- that they absolutely refuse to have parental consent uh, in this bill. Parental to give parents the ability to opt out uh, their children of being in this curriculum. Any effort to attach parental consent to this law is another layer of perpetuation of violence. I quote. To, so so and what's what's actually funny about this as well. Um, sad, funny, I should say, is that the intro of the story, like to, to the, the way that the dispatch went about, like showing that this law was needed was to tell the story of a child that was, uh, raped by a teacher. Yep. Not like former educator, not, not a, a bunch of kids that were raped by, by, by a teacher. What? Not, not even like this was a parent issue. This was the people that are supposed to be empowered to teach this curriculum were the ones that did the sexual abuse. And so again, you know, the, there's a few different things that I think are worth unpacking here, Dave. And I'm, I'm, I mentioned it in like the big lessons that you take away from this experience. But I think for one, you know, this is just where, just generally, and I don't care which side is doing it, whether it's conservatives or liberals. I, I think you generally see this a lot more, a lot worse in mainstream media attacking conservatives. But if a story sounds too salacious, it's probably not true. Yeah, like the, the idea that that somebody's just out there being pro uh, sexual exploitation or anti sexual uh, exploitation curriculum is just insane. But the the question is always, what does it mean? Um, that gets to my second point, and David, I think we can unpack this a little bit more, uh, is so in bills like this, what they tend to do is they tend to say, we need to have this curriculum. Mm-hmm. It's mandated. Uh, big picture, either this board or this uh, or the individual school districts can decide who is going to do this curriculum. Who normally does this type of curriculum, David? In, in the schools, it's, it's the teachers will, will, will do the curriculum or they will hire in somebody from the community, you know, to come in and who's an expert and who will abide by best practices, which you hear over and over and over again for the supporters of this bill. Uh, because they have no curriculum to tell you, they have no um, you know, task force to identify. What they will say is that we are going to abide by best practices. So best practices for the sexual violence prevention folks. So what we did was we looked into, okay, I've been doing this work 20 some years. All right. What are the best practices? So I went to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center and they said that the best practice for sexual violence prevention is to partner it or to integrate it into existing comprehensive sex ed programs. Mind you, they didn't just say sexual health. It was, it's always comprehensive sex ed. Then I went to Illinois, you know, task force to see what they did. There it was comprehensive sex education funding and everything. Then I went to Washington, New York. It's always the same thing. And so, um, if you support this bill, you are supporting flooding the state of Ohio with more comprehensive sex education. Uh, and, and that will have to be funded, right? I don't, I don't think that it talks about any funding right now, but that will need funding. But if they do choose to bring in, you know, this program under comprehensive sex education, it is illegal in the state of Ohio to have any kind of sex ed that does not emphasize abstinence. In the article, that's where she got me. So what she did was she took her... Uh, her, uh, you know, creative liberties um, and, uh, you know, kind of twisted terminology. I never say abstinence, only anything. Um, she threw that in there real hard and then would throw a quote right after, you know, her statement. And um, and the other thing she did was she completely removed the context of why I was even talking about sex ed in the first place, um, which is there is no sexual violence prevention 
based on best practices without comprehensive sex education. And what you hear from Monica Klein is when you hear comprehensive sex education, uh, that that's the Planned Parenthood curriculum. That's the Seekus curriculum. It's a brand. That's the that that that's it. It, it should be comprehensive sex education incorporated. Like it, it's it, it's it's something that these guys sell that that Planned Parenthood sells to get into schools. Yeah, uh, they're the number guys. one provider of sexual health education uh, on the planet. Right, and so so again, you you we've just seen this time and time again that. Uh, you bring these mandates, you bring these, and, and I, I will say there's some people we know that are involved in this process who are not uh, not comprehensive sex education uh, folks, people that are like trying to hawk and push this on people, not, not even comprehensive, comprehensive sex education believers. They, they are people that genuinely want to stop kids from being sexually abused. Right. Um, and so... They're going along with something that sounds good, sounds harmless, and sounds good. Not recognizing that there are that there are people involved in this that are wanting that are wanting to use this that are probably wanting to help stop sexual exploitation of kids, but also want to tie this in with a broader comprehensive sex education push. Um, and and again, the devil is quite literally always in the details. What is the actual curriculum? Who's actually going to be teaching it? Can parents opt out? And the fact that every time around when we sit down and have these conversations, and this is literally, this is what we do, is we sit down and we say, hey, just talk this through with us. They, they, they get angry, they get defensive, they get accusatory. Um, and it just gets to the point of like, okay, guys, if this is what you're going to do, we're going to let people know that you're trying to block out parents. You're trying to keep parents from knowing what's going on with their kids. You're trying to teach, again, tell me what in the world age-appropriate uh, sexual exploitation curriculum is for a kindergartner or a first grader. Yeah, I um, I actually, when I went to the, the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, and um, I was actually talking to somebody the other day, uh, an actual advocate for, um, you know, Aaron's Law, and, and I just read it to him, you know, can school-based sex education programs become an important strategy in preventing harm? An analysis has been published um, that suggests school-based programs centering the learning objectives and skill building contained in the National Sexuality Education Standards, or the FOSI standards, can elevate programs. Now, th- not just comprehensive sex ed, but they want to push the FOSI standards, the, the, the sex education standards. Let me let me read to you who's on the FOSI board, the advisory committee of FOSI. You've got Advocates for Youth. You've got Planned Parenthood Federation of America. You've got um, uh, Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, the Gleason Network. You've got Sexuality Information and Education Council of United States, who basically says that their whole motto is sex ed for social change. Um, you, you know, on and on and on. Uh, future of, of Sex Education Initiative. And so all of these, you know, heavy hitters of comprehensive sex education, all of these bad actors that parent that parents all across the country are, uh, you know, going to school board meetings about. We're about to flood them into the state of Ohio uh, with this what we call sexual violence. Yeah, whatever. whatever. I'm listen. I'm tripping. When you guys hear this interview uh, with Monica Klein, it may not sound like a big deal right now. Well, you know, what, what? okay, so abstinence only, you know, they say versus comprehensive sex ed. But when you hear the interview with Monica Klein, you'll see how insidious this is. Again, it's not, you know, the, a description of what they're doing in the classroom. It is a brand of of, a, of obscenity and, and bringing in and exposing kids to things that they have no idea what to do with. And, and actually, 
David, it's it's even more than that. It's it's a worldview. It's 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 darn near a religion. I mean, this is this is what um, this is what Carl Carl Truman, who we interviewed in our last season, documents so well uh, in his book, uh, "The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self." Is and, and you know groups like Sikhus who who used to used to you know Sikhus used to stand for its S E I C U S Sexuality Information and Education Council of the United States. That's what Sikhus used to stand for. They've basically changed their name, so Sikhus is just the name. It doesn't stand for anything, but it's now their tagline is yeah, sex, uh, sex Ed, ed for, for social change. change. And what this worldview is that this comprehensive sex education uh, curriculum is based on is a hypersexualized view of of children and humanity it is your your identity your your personhood rests in your sexual prowess your sexual identity and and we see how all those ways it, again it's it, it's how this worldview collapses on itself and and again this this is a much broader conversation that we maybe we bring carl truman back to have this conversation but it's this worldview that says on the one hand your sexual identity, your your value, who you are as a person rests in your sexual identity and your sexual prowess. On the other hand, uh, they want to teach uh, against sexual violence and sexual exploitation. Well, the, the problem is when you're teaching kids on this over here, you're cr- actually creating the very problem that's leading yeah. to sexual exploitation. When you're teaching young men uh, and young women that this is who they are, this is where they value, this is what what their value lies in. You're necessarily creating the circumstances for kids to pursue this because if if my value all comes from how you perceive me, so if you don't perceive me in the right gender, if you don't perceive me in the right sort of sexual context, what what right do you have to stop me from getting what I want from you and uh, sexually? Like it, it just it collapses on itself. And so it's it's much bigger than whether we're emphasizing abstinence or we're emphasizing marriage. It, it, it is a worldview of who the human person is, what we were made to be. It is, it is a, a massive, massive issue. Um, sorry, do, do you have anything else, David, we, 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 before we wrap and get into the Monica Klein interview? No, nah, we just, it, it places a false expectation on children as well. And, and I yeah. think we'll, uh, we'll let Monica dive into that one. Yeah, so, so don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break uh, and then we'll be right back with David's interview with Monica Klein. Center for Christian Virtue seeks the good of our neighbors by advocating for public policy that reflects the truth of the gospel. We empower people like you to have a voice in the culture on the most important political and cultural issues of the day. Through our public policy advocacy, grassroots activism, Church Ambassador Network, Ohio Christian Education Network, and Christian Business Partnership, there are countless ways for you to get involved. Join the movement today by visiting ccv.org or by clicking the link in the show notes. That's ccv.org and click join the network. Monica Klein is a former Title X or AKA family planning training manager and volunteer educator for Planned Parenthood. Her career in HIV prevention education, comprehensive sex education, and Title X training lasted over a decade. Today, Monica boldly exposes the truth behind comprehensive sex education and the harm it causes our children, families, and community. Monica's goal is to encourage parents to reclaim parenthood and become their parents' greatest, or their children's greatest advocates and educators, which she accomplishes by equipping families with the resources and skills necessary to strengthen family, trust, and confidence. Monica, so glad that you could be with us today. This has been a long time coming. Uh, please uh, tell our folks a little bit about who you are, what you do. 
Oh, you did a good job right there with that bio. Thanks for having me on the show. It's good to see you again and hear from you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I started in this field of HIV, STD prevention, uh, family planning right out of college. Um, I was young and really wanted to make a difference in the world. And HIV was a huge issue at that time. Uh, man, I'm going to give out, give away my age here. I graduated in 1996 from college, <laughs> but, uh, but that was when HIV, you know, was, was, you know, people were talking about that since the eighties. And I wanted to do my part. And so I started volunteering at a gay organization to reach out to both women and men who have sex with men uh, to do my part in making sure that uh, we could prevent the spread of HIV in the community. Yeah. And uh, but next thing I know, I, I was in a whole new world. And uh, that included the world of the abortion industry with Planned Parenthood. Uh, one of their directors of education in the Austin, Texas area became my mentor. And she was the one that trained me on how to teach children sex education. And, uh, and that's really how that all started. Yeah. So you, you were honestly, um, you weren't just some, you know, were you, were you like that, that radical feminist, uh, you know, just kind of wanted to, you know, get at the man or you just really wanted to help people. You, you had a, a deep desire to help kids. You know, that's a great question because, um, you know, you and I work in this world of policy, et cetera. But the truth is, is that so much of this education is coming at people's hearts. That's how it starts. So no, I did not come at this as a feminist. I did. uh, Honestly, I come from a small town in Texas, Brownsville, Texas, uh, a very traditional Mexican-American family. And honestly, my mom never talked to me about feminism or anything like that. Uh, We were more uh, focused on family and our identity within our family than we were talking about feminism or being sex positive in any way. So no, that, that wasn't my intention, but boy, you know, going to the university of Texas at Austin and being immersed in that worldview, mm-hmm. uh, which people know that most large universities, but especially the university of Texas at Austin is very liberal, has a very liberal worldview. And so that did start to change me. And by the time I found myself working in this field of sex education, I was being molded a lot. You know, I was really adopting their worldview and uh, not having a worldview other than my own family. um, I, I definitely fell for it. Yeah. And I think, you know, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but you know, I've been in this work 20 some years as well. And um, uh, it seems like most people know Planned Parenthood, uh, to be the world's largest abortion provider, but they don't know that they're the world's largest uh, comprehensive sex ed provider as well. Um, and um, is that just merely um, a coincidence or would you say that that's more of an intention, intentional business model uh, that both of those would be connected, the comprehensive sex education classroom work and then you know the clinic abortion center work? No, it's absolutely connected. Uh, The way I explain it to parents is that sex education is Planned Parenthood's marketing tool to ensure abortion. So what this kind of comprehensive sex education does is it grooms a child to believe that sex is just for pleasure. It is just a recreational activity. They teach them how to objectify themselves and one another through recreational sex. So with that kind of conditioning over and over again, and that kind of behavior, it just becomes a natural next step for that child 
or adult to then dehumanize the preborn child through abortion. And it just becomes a vicious cycle, but it's not just my opinion. Um, so in 1973, when Roe was passed, um, Alan Guttmacher was asked by uh, a newspaper and I, I have the clipping somewhere. I can share that with you. And that, that's um, the research arm of Planned Parenthood. The, yeah. Uh, Alan Guttmacher was, uh, yes. Guttmacher Institute is the research arm of Planned Parenthood. So he was very much a part of Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. you know, broke off created the Guttmacher Institute uh, for research on abortion. They All of their data mostly comes from Planned Parenthood as well. Yeah. But in 1973, when Roe was passed, uh, he was asked what needs to happen to solidify Roe forever, you know, to never get rid of abortion, never make it illegal again. And he said two words, sex education. So even back then they knew that if they could, and really, instead of using the word education, it's really about the, it's, it's about the grooming process. It's about indoctrinating a whole population of young people, uh, to adopt their worldview and their worldview is to treat sex as a recreational activity, that it's not meant for marriage, that there has nothing to do with commitment and that they want to separate it from children altogether. That's, that is the whole point of Planned Parenthood. And so abortion then gets solidified by using sex education as that marketing tool and grooming tool to change generations of people and whole communities. Yeah. Well, let's let's back up. And, um, you know, now we kind of laid the foundation for for folks. I, you know, I just don't think folks really understand what this is all about. But if you could just kind of tell us what was your experience as an educator, volunteer or, or staff educator in the classroom um, as, as a Planned Parenthood trainer or um, sex education uh, teacher? Sure. Well, number one, my teaching that I received from Planned Parenthood is that when I walked into a classroom, I was to have the worldview. I was to, and this is an actual quote from my mentor at Planned Parenthood, is to view the children as having done anything and everything when it comes to sex. And if they haven't, they will. And that it was my job as a sex educator to teach them about every sexual activity and how they can reduce their risk. Uh, while engaging in that activity, reducing their risk for pregnancy and disease. Mm. Um, And so then by having that worldview, we are now assuming that every child is sexually active, that they're doing anything and everything that means oral, vaginal, uh, 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 and anal. And, And so literally they're saying you need to teach them about everything every detail. And we literally did. And so the experience in the classroom, you know, at the beginning, uh, I didn't, you know, not having the proper worldview and just going in at, in with my own worldview that they were teaching me. I, I was I was doing what they asked. I was helping these kids role play how to negotiate the use of condoms. Yeah, um, just all of it, all of it. Uh, but there was one day, David, that really changed my perspective on things. I and and it was when this 13-year-old girl, it, I was at this at-risk school, an alternative school. So all these children were considered high risk because they'd been kicked out of other schools. It was a uh, boys and girls in this classroom, 13 years old. And I started my conversation on sex education, which is very graphic. We literally just put on the board oral, anal, vaginal, and all the bodily fluids that transmit disease. And it's a very frank conversation. So, but this little girl raises her hand and she was not disrespectful. She wasn't trying to create a problem. She had a real uh, question. And her question was, 
when I'm involved in this, I'm not going to say it exactly how she said it, but when I'm involved in this sexual activity, I gag, can you teach me how to do it better? Uh, And I'm sure you and your listeners right now are shocked by that. I was shocked by that um, because I was, you know, I worked with a lot of adults, uh, drug users, sex workers, but here I had this 13 year old girl admitting what she was doing and actually admitting that she didn't like it. And so that's what I repeated to her. I said, I'm going to repeat your question. I want to make sure I understand you correctly. When you're involved in this activity, this happens and you don't like that. You don't like how you react. You don't like that activity. She said, you're right. I don't, but maybe if you teach me how to do it better, the authority in the room, the sex educator, right? If you teach me how to do it better, maybe I'll like it. And so I paused for there for a second. All all the kids were just, you know, like waiting for my answer. And I said, well, first of all, let's back up and let's start with the fact that you don't like this activity. Have you ever considered just not doing the thing that you don't like doing? Just don't do it. Yeah. And all those kids just looked at me like I had just said something they'd never heard of. And and that's exactly what she said. She raised her hand again and she said, ma'am, no one's ever told us that. So these children had never been told that they could avoid sexual activity, that they didn't have to do any of those things. Uh, And David, honestly, what happened next really surprised me. Um, They actually started talking about ways that they could hang out with each other without touching each other. They talked about playing basketball. They talked about uh, most of these kids lived in government housing. So they had community centers that they would go to with had free movies, you know, free snacks. And that was one of their thoughts. Like we'll just go to the, you know, to the community center and watch movies and eat popcorn. Um, and they came out, they just came up with, with answers that you would expect children their age to say just very innocent things, play sports, just hang out and talk. One little girl broke away from the group because they kind of huddled together. Um, and one of them pulled away and she said, ma'am, I can't do what they're doing. And I said, well, what do you think you can't do? She said, "I I can't stop having sex. And I said, well, why not? And she said, because I've already started having sex and now everyone expects it. So I can't say no anymore. Um, and then, but she asked it, she actually said, right. Cause she needed me to tell her it was okay to give her permission to not have sex. So I, of course I let her know she didn't have to have sex and that no one had the right to tell her she had to, she smiled, went back to the group and they continued their conversation about abstinence without using the word abstinence. Right. Um, and those are the things that Planned Parenthood doesn't want people to know about. They want people to believe that children are sexual from birth, just like Alfred Kinsey said, you know, in the forties, um, that, uh, children have sexual rights to sexual pleasure. Those are words that you'll even find in some of the comprehensive sex ed curricula of today. And, um, and so basically by saying that children have quote unquote sexual rights, um, that means that the, it's, a, it's like a human right. You know, that this, this whole industry is making it sound like this is a human right for children to have sex, uh, that benefits predators, but that doesn't benefit the child. And, and it really creates basically who, who is the oppressor in this scenario of, of keeping children from being sexually active. And right. that would be the parent. Um, so this whole scenario is really set up to divide families. It's to harm the children. It's to lead them down this worldview that is very destructive Uh, The very same zip codes that I was asked by the government to do outreach in back then, 
uh, because they had high incidences of unplanned pregnancy and disease are the very same zip codes that are having problems today. Yeah. Even with all those years of point. education, uh, of sex education from the government, the risk reduction, harm reduction intervention enables people in their high risk behavior, whether they're children or adults, it enables them and it keeps them in high risk, unhealthy behavior. And it is slowly killing communities and families all over this nation. And really the number one people who are being affected by this, the most are Hispanics and African-Americans. Mm. Now, of course, we're seeing that because that was our target to go into those specific communities. Uh, and now you're seeing that, of course, comprehensive sex education is in every whoa, school. Whoa, 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 back up. So, so you said that that was your target was to Absolutely. go into minority black and brown communities. Could you give me some more background a little bit on that? Is it, is it because of the worldview of, of black and brown kids? Like, well, just why? Mm -hmm. Why was that a target? My HIV prevention grant from the CDC specifically said that I was to reach out to women of color of childbearing age, hmm. women of color of childbearing age, uh, the men who have sex with men grant, same thing, men of color, men who are having sex with men. Um, partly it was also zip codes, high incidence of disease in these areas. Um, so what, what do we do in those areas? We enable the behavior by giving condoms and lubrication and telling people to get tested because it's not a matter of if you're going to get a disease, but when. Yeah. So the, it, there is no foolproof uh, with a condom at all. Um, and so it, it, again, it is just when I finally realized that I stood back and realized all these years. I'll give you another story, actually. Uh, at some point in my career, I don't remember what year it was, but I think it was in the 2000s. The CDC actually came out for the first time that I that I remember uh, with the term of evidence-based intervention and that mm -hmm. they had evidence-based interventions that we could implement into our communities, that all the grantees could choose one. Uh, so I chose, I was managing at that point. So I chose the one for the women of color and one for men who have sex with men. I went to Atlanta, Georgia, got my training. Um, and brought it back into the community. We had to conduct a needs assessment, which was to incentivize the community with a grocery gift card so they could come in and do this needs assessment before we implemented the intervention. Yeah. And a, a woman came in and, and I need people to understand that comprehensive sex education or risk reduction education uh, focuses on, you know, their main goal, really their main objective is to increase the use of condoms and that people use them consistently. Yeah. That's so if, it. I, if I can, if I can just jump in real quick to give some context. So most of us kind of understand this, um, this topic is as abstinence versus uh, safe sex. You know, that would be what, with a lot of the old heads that are listening would probably remember it as that's right. Um, the new context is risk reduction, versus risk, risk avoidance, right? And so, you know, we, we can say, well, we, everybody's gonna do it anyway, right? Secondary prevention model of everybody's doing it. So the secondary prevention model is to, uh, to avoid some of the risk. Whereas, you know, if, if everybody's not doing it, then we can go to the primary prevention model of risk avoidance. And, and what a lot of folks don't understand is that the CDC puts out a youth risk surveillance survey every three years or so. And um, for the last 10, 12 years, we're seeing an increase in kids choosing not to be sexually active 
over 60 you know, percent of kids are choosing not to do it. And so what we're seeing is we, we need a primary prevention model versus the secondary risk reduction model uh, that uh, that Monica is, is talking about here. I'm sorry to jump in, but I just thought maybe if I gave some context, yeah. context no, to no. the listeners. I like to tell parents about that as well, because it, it's been a public health approach for years. Um, we've always used primary and secondary interventions. Right. Uh, just like you said, primary is just thinking about it's it's like number one, it's avoidance, avoid the thing that is unhealthy, avoid right. drugs, avoid smoking, right? Uh, in this case, avoid sex. Uh, and that means when you do avoid those things, you, you don't have any health risk that is associated with that behavior because you're not engaged in that behavior. But when we push the secondary intervention, which is risk reduction, it, it basically is saying, go ahead and do drugs, go right. ahead and smoke, go ahead and have sex. Um, just use some protective measures, like don't share your needles, uh, if you're an IV drug user or yeah. make sure you clean your needles. Okay. But that's not addressing the fact that this person is addicted to drugs. Um, if it's sex, it's okay. You're having sex with multiple partners, you know, reduce your risk, risk by using condoms. Um, it, but they're not effective. They're not going to say that they're not effective. So that's why you have to get tested every three to six months. So in other words, it now moves to the third phase of public health intervention, which is when you are involved in risk reduction or secondary intervention, it is inevitable that you will have a health problem. And now you go to tertiary, which means now we're into treatment. Now we have to intervene on the disease that you have, whether it's yeah. HIV, herpes, whatever it may be. And so really for a healthy society, we want help. We want to help people avoid disease altogether. So right. really that's why we want risk avoidance. Um, so in this, in this scenario here, we're having um, this risk reduction going into impoverished communities. Most of them are going to be people of color. Right. Um, we are teaching children uh, to basically, we're basically taking over parenting for, for these, for the parents. And we're telling children and grooming them through comprehensive sex education to just go ahead and be sexually active and we'll take care of it. Just come to us for testing and things like that. And, and these children are suffering and these communities are suffering because we have broken families, because when you are teaching children that sex is a recreational activity and that they are then to objectify themselves and each other, and they're getting diseases, um, these children, it, it changes their worldview. It, it affects their emotions and their spirit and their bodies. And so we're seeing that they're, that these families are just, are just falling apart. Um, now in this scenario though, that what happened with this woman that came in to do the needs assessment, I think I was mentioning that our objective is literally for them to use condoms consistently. That's it. We're not trying to change any other behavior. Right. So she comes in. And so the assessment is all about, do you use condoms? because that's the only thing we're going to be measuring. Um, and so she said, no. And so I asked, well, why not? And she said, because if I have one child, I get food stamps. If I have two children, I have a place to live. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also I get paid more not to, yep. not to use condoms. So she was a sex worker. And that was what another, uh, pivotal, pivotal, pivotal moment in my, in that time of my career. And I, mm -hmm. I sat back and I realized at that point I had actually already accepted Christ into my life. God was really showing me different things. I was seeing things that I hadn't seen before. And here was this woman sitting in front of me, letting me know that she was a sex worker. She was having children just to eat and have shelter. 
And this intervention from the CDC to convince her to use condoms was supposed to help her. Absolutely not. I knew she needed Christ. She needed the body of Christ to come to her and help her. Um, This is what's happening in our communities. This is the false hope that, that these programs are giving children and adults all over this country. You're absolutely right. And I'm looking at, uh, you know, I know we work with some of the same groups of mama bears across the country. Um, We just had about 10 groups of mama bears come down to the state house and uh, and talk to some of our our leadership here. Um, One of the issues that we're having is the curriculum battles that we're seeing flare up, you know, and so, you know, gender unicorn, genderbred person. um, um, CECUS, for those of you don't know, is um, kind of the curriculum arm, you know, the Planned Parenthood family. Uh, Planned Parenthood is the implementation of curriculum in the classroom and things like that. And and we'll maybe talk about the connection between the classroom and the clinic uh, here in a minute. But then you have, um, you know, the standards, you know, the the standards for for sex education all over the globe. And that would be CECUS, so the Sexuality Information and Education Council of the United States. So where you may not hear the name Planned Parenthood all the time when it when it comes to training and um, uh, you know, professional development and curriculum. Now you're looking at CECUS and uh, their goal um, just recently stated is um, the goal of comprehensive sex education is to be in every state and every and uh, in, in every school in the nation. It's sex ed is the vehicle for social change. Full stop. Right. So their whole motto is sex ed is the vehicle for social change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's not about, you know, reducing pregnancy. Teen pregnancy is not about reducing STIs, STDs amongst kids. Uh, it's to have some sort of social change. And also they want to reach kids as young as five. And I, and I wanted to ask you, Monica, mm-hmm. um, is that true? You know, are, are they really focusing on, you know, babies uh, with sex education and gender ideology and all that kind of thing? Absolutely. Um, they, they absolutely are. Um, while I was in that work, they hailed Alfred Kinsey as their hero. Uh, they hailed M- Margaret Sanger as their heel. Alfred Kinsey was a, and you'll have to do a whole other podcast on that, but he really, you know, was a very depraved man who wanted to believe that children were sexual from birth to justify his depraved sexual uh, desires. Yeah, he was a and, bug doctor, right? Like he, he researched insects and most of his research on sexuality came from prison, right? Because like, yeah. <laughs> He falsified. I bought his books on eBay because um, because I I wanted to be able to show people that I I didn't just this wasn't hearsay. I mean, he pretty much put his research in his books. Um, And before we get lost in the weeds and all of that, but he basically sexually tortured children and hired pedophiles uh, with uh, stopwatches to sexually torture children to get them to climax. Uh, and, and, and of course they, they really didn't, you know, uh, the descriptions that he had is that the children would cry or flail about or convulse. Uh, and that's because these children were being tortured by these people. Um, but that is what the data and it's in his books, everything is in his books. I don't know how he wasn't arrested back then. Um, but he, he is really the foundation of sex education and this belief that children are sexual from birth. So the standards that you're referring to are called the national sexuality education standards. And so Mm -hmm. for, for me, um, you know, I'm not a policy expert, but for me, I would like to see that on the state level that we would reject 
not um, very specifically the national sexuality education standards. Those standards were created, yes, by, uh, you'll see the logos of SEEK, is advocates for youth and answer on that document that they put that together. The truth is, is that behind the scenes, organizations like the one I used to work for, the Center for Health Training, which is now called Cardia, and many other organizations that hail and, and, and want to promote comprehensive sex education, they came together and united to create these standards over the years. Um, in the end, they decided that just those three organizations would put their logo on the standards. But parents and policymakers need to recognize that when you see national sexuality education standards, right. those were created by proponents of comprehensive sex education, and you want to reject every program that has that. And you do not want that program to be part of your education code for your schools. Uh, now, the goal absolutely is to federalize this. And they're moving very quickly to do that and, and have been for many years. And so, for example, Advocates for Youth and all these organizations that we're talking about all actually came out of Planned Parenthood yeah. many years ago. <laughs> so different staff members, le leaders in Planned Parenthood broke away to create SICUS, broke away to create Guttmacher Institute, broke away to create Advocates for Youth. Now, Advocates for Youth, you will see if you go to the CDC website and even type in advocates for youth, you'll see that they have actually worked as consultants with the um, Department of Adolescent Sexual Health at the CDC for a long time. They've been receiving a lot of grant money from the government, and they basically are considered the experts that consult with the CDC. So yes, they, they are very much in wanting to federalize this so that every child is receiving this, so that every pediatrician is advocating for this and uh, all in, in quote unquote, the name of health education. Yeah. But the reality is, is that it is destroying our children and it's dividing family. Um, and, and so it, what does that have to do with gender identity? All of this really, and I don't know if I'm getting into the weeds on this, David, but no, please, I think folks need to understand. I, they just think that, you know, when we talk about what's going on in the classroom, because they don't have the background, um, they, they, they have no clue how big this is, how, how the tentacles and even just in what you just experienced, uh, you know, in the classroom um, in, in your former life. And even what you just talked about with Kinsey and the roots and the pedophilia. Now we see where the maps are, are coming from, you know, the, the, right. the um, uh, minor attracted persons that that we're seeing yeah. now pop up on social media that that didn't yes. come out of anywhere. This is deeply rooted in this uh, worldview of, of sexuality. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned them because I was going to mention that as well. You know, when I first quit back in 2009 uh, and I sat at home asking God, how, how was I, how did I fall for this? Like yeah. what, what are, help me understand <laughs> what happened. And there was two things that he brought to my remembrance. And one is that these people that trained me hailed Alfred Kinsey as a hero. Yeah. So knowing that, that, that then I understood why Planned Parenthood taught me uh, that these children, even as young as 10, were sexually active and that they didn't think there was anything wrong with that. Uh, this is why Planned Parenthood did not report statutory rape or cases of human trafficking, because they literally told me that they felt these young girls wanted to have sex with adult men, that they wanted this. It was their choice. It was consensual to them. Yeah, yeah that's how they viewed that. Mm -hmm. uh, so then I started to understand 
why they had this distorted view of our children, because all of that was based on their belief in Alfred Kinsey's research. So this is why it's important to know that history. The other thing that I found is that, uh, or that God had me remember is how Planned Parenthood always said that parents are a barrier to service. They want to keep parents out of the picture. Uh, they, of course, that's when God showed me well, obviously that means they're afraid of parents because parents are powerful, which is why I created It Takes a Family because parents need to, we really need to strengthen our families from within. Um, and so that then over the years, God started to show me how this was very much rooted in Marxist ideology as well. Uh, so the end of communism, the end of private business, the end of private property and the end of private family. Mm-hmm. And so this is what you see happening with Planned Parenthood, comprehensive sex education, the national sexuality standards. It's all about making the children a ward of the state and that there is no private family and that parents are not really essential at all. And it really started to make sense for me that this was the way that they were going to keep the parents out. So the only parent that Planned Parenthood or this whole sex education abortion industry thinks is a good parent is the parent that agrees with their ideology. And so for them, in order to be able to have a new world, or as Sika says, sex education for social change in order Mm -hmm. to change society away from family values, they need to indoctrinate our children from birth. Right. Right. Uh, And that's going to go through the medical community and it's going to go through the public health system and it's going to, and it's coming through the church. I hate to say it, but it is is coming through the church Um, and because they know, and that's part of the communist manifesto is that they actually said in order for us to be able to destroy family, to end private, everything, private family, private, everything, um, they recognize that there is something that strengthened family and that was their God. And literally in the communist manifesto, it actually says we need to get rid of God from their lives. And so now we're seeing public schools, of course, uh, remove God, prayer, Bible, uh, get God out of everything. Yeah. And, and so this is where we're seeing how our society is yeah. falling apart. One, one thing you, you mentioned a lot and, um, and, and I, and I, you know, I stole it over the years. So, uh, my, you know, listeners will probably have heard me say that, that parents have now become the, the primary barrier to service uh, for not just Planned Parenthood, but a lot of social services we're, we're dealing with here. I don't know if you've heard of um, Aaron's Law and um, the sexual violence prevention movement. I just did a, a, a kind of a, a session on this for the Protect Child Health Coalition. Um, but um, there was somebody it was uh, Rosa Beltre, president of the Ohio Alliance to End Sexual Violence, stated uh, in, a, in a recent article, any effort to attach parental consent to this law is another layer of uh, perpetuation of violence. Um, literally parents are now considered uh, barriers to service and threats as opposed to the primary stakeholders of their children's education. Um, and this is, this is scary, right? So if, if most kids go and most Christian kids go to um, public schools and things like that, uh, and, and, you know, parents are giving their kids over for, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours a day. Um, this is what we're giving our kids over to. It, it's not just math and science. It's a worldview 
Um, and it's it's giving folks over to a system that's, that's trying to take advantage of kids. On that point, Monica, can you kind of talk about, you know, we all, often hear about the school to prison pipeline. I believe that there's a school to clinic pipeline uh, mm-hmm. with all of this comprehensive sex education stuff that's going on, starting in, you know, as young as five, according to Seekus. Um, how does that link? What is the link to the abortion clinics with, with Parenthood? It's really easy. Um, So what these programs do, and and this is so important for your listeners to know, which is why I formed It Takes a Family. They know that the best way to get your kids away from you is to give them purpose and to give them value. And when we ignore our kids um, because we're really busy and we tell them to be quiet and we tell them to get away for a little bit, Uh (laughs) which is sometimes right. It happens. Um, But these organizations embrace your children Mm -hmm. and they tell them, you know, we believe in you. We believe in you so much that we're going to teach you all this sex education because we know you can be responsible. And as a matter of fact, when you find yourself in a position that you think, you know, you need some medical care. We're going to teach you how to access the medical system, the healthcare system. So you can go to this clinic, this clinic, this clinic, because they will pay. You don't even have to pay. And we don't even have to tell your parents that's called title 10. That's called HIV STD, uh, the grants, all those grants that I was talking about at the beginning of this, uh, podcast, those all provide these services to children without parental consent. Mm-hmm. And when you go to the CDC website, you'll find that it's because they've established something called adolescent confidentiality that adolescents really, what it means is children, minor children have the right of confidentiality and that they don't, they can access healthcare without parents. Now in this, in most States children, you know, I don't know about Ohio, but the age of consent to sex is, is 18 in Texas. So really it's illegal for a child to engage in sex younger than that, but yet our schools are teaching comprehensive sex education. So there are they, they're teaching them to encouraging them to be involved in an activity that's actually illegal illegal. for their age. Mm -hmm. And then they're telling them to go to health to basically sex clinics um, when it's illegal for them to be able to do that. Um, So here we are seeing how the federal government and these federal grants are trumping the laws of our state but also the rights of parents. And, and so I'm not surprised by the Aaron law on the language that's in there. Cause I've been seeing it for many years. So yes, Planned Parenthood taught me that parents are a barrier to service, but then I started to see also in bills for the transgender movement, wanting children to be able to access hormones and sex reassignment surgeries. And those bills also said parents are a barrier to the healthcare of their children. And so again, they wanted to strip parental rights from the quote unquote healthcare of the children. Uh, So we're going to consider, continue to see that language. And we have got to be in there with our legislators, or you need to be running, you know, uh, whoever's listening, you need to be running to ensure that those are not passing. Don't you put that on me, Monica. Um, It's it's, on all of us, David. (laughs) It's on all of us. If you heard it, if you heard it, you now have to do something about it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They, they, they're not, you know, parents aren't barriers to service. They're, they're barriers to um, folks who are trying to exploit our children, use them as human shields, right? You know, we prop up kids Absolutely. who are suicidal. We prop up kids that have been abused, that are hurting, they're struggling with their identity. 
and they prop them up in at the state house and they put them in hearings and and it breaks my heart because these sad stories pull at the at the heartstrings of the legislators who have no idea of the industries that are standing behind these kids laughing at both the lawmaker and the child and the parents that um that that have been given um, the responsibility to take care of these kids. It, it's heartbreaking. And I remember, I'll never forget when I first met you in DC and we had all these organization leaders and, you know, it was starting to get real political. And, um, you know, folks were talking about how much should we have the, the word of God involved and in the name of God involved in our work. And you almost quit that group that day because of I, I, your heart is so pure to wanting to help oh. kids and wanting to yeah. support families. Uh, before we close, uh, can you please tell us a little bit and our listeners about um, It Takes a Family and, and what the motivation is there? Yes. So I formed It Takes a Family. Really, it's me speaking into churches or into families. I've gone into families' homes doing table talks. And it's really about one, helping parents understand everything that we just talked about on this podcast. How do you recognize when a public health message is actually harmful to your child? How do you recognize those things? Because you need to be able to recognize them so that you can make them stop or protect your child from it. But it's also teaching parents about what is happening in the culture and how they can, it's almost, it's like apologetics. How do you talk to your children about these things? Because they are learning them more and more uh, parents who you know, show themselves to be very strong Christians are admitting that their children are liberal, that they have a liberal worldviews because of their education that they're receiving at their schools. And so really it's about teaching parents about the culture so that they know how to speak truth into their children's lives about that culture, whether it's homosexuality, the transgender movement, things like that. But then it's also to teach parents about the proper way to talk to our children about marriage, relationships, identity, and yes, sexual intimacy, all as God created it. And it does not have to be graphic. So really I'm trying really hard to just to educate parents so that they are the leaders and the primary educators for their children about their identity and their creation uh, from a biblical worldview. Well, Monica, I thank you so much for just sharing your wisdom, your heart, your understanding. I know there's a great cost to be you and do what you do. Um, I know that there's targets on my back and you've got a few on yours as well, I'm sure, yeah. uh, because of who you used to represent and who you currently represent uh, in, in God. And, and so I uh, thank you for what you do and uh, for your time with us today. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Narrative with Monica Klein presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. If you enjoyed breaking through the false narratives and political spin with us today, leave us a review and rating. We can't wait to see you next time here on The Narrative.